So the lady I'm going to talk about is perhaps the most famous woman that has ever lived. Ooh. <laughs> I googled the top most famous women, and Princess Di actually came out as top, which I was a bit surprised about. And Madonna was about fourth. But anyway, so that's some, that's some modern-day famous women. But this woman has been in the best-selling book of all time, and she's been painted probably more than any other woman. Any guesses? Yes. <laughs> Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's just a few paintings of her. And she's famous for kind of a good reason. She has a unique story. She, has, she took the one-time-in-history moment of saying, I am your servant, a faith step, one decision in time to become the mother of Jesus. Her son was God's son. Her son was God. Mind-blowing stuff. When she did that, she said, I will effectively, yes, God. She said, I am the Lord's servant. And in that moment, she showed costly, obedient faith. And that's really what we're going to be focusing on today. I could have done three sermons, but unfortunately, I've only got time to do one <laughs> point. But then she showed enduring faith. You know, I thought about this quite a bit, but Mary, she took this massive faith step and said, yes, God. And then for the next 30 years, she endured scandal, waiting for this promise to come true. Everybody in her village still thought she was that woman of shame. But she waited for 30 years and showed enduring faith. And in that time, it says that she treasured all of these things in her heart. All the miracles that she'd seen, the angels, the angel Gabriel, the angels, the shepherds, the magi turning up, the prophecies of Anna and Simeon in the temple, just saying who her son was going to be, the most high God. She had all these events, all these promises from God that she treasured in her heart and pondered. She thought about them often. She had these treasures of God's goodness in her treasure trove. And she got them out often, polished the silver, looked at them, thought about them. The things that she treasured in her heart kept her through those 30 years where she didn't feel or see the promises coming true. She was confused and worried as well. When Jesus started his public ministry, her and her other children didn't really know what he was doing. They didn't really get it. They were confused. They were worried about him. So they went to go and find him, didn't they? In, um, yeah, in Mark 3, they're tracking him down. And she's confused and she's worried. And they go and try and find him. They say, you know, your mother and brother are here. And Jesus answers in a way that she doesn't particularly like. She doesn't particularly expect. He says, who are my mother and brother? Anyone that does the will of God is my mother and brother. And for her, that must have been quite confronting, not expecting. It's like, oh, hold on, I'm your mum. I'm like special. And he's saying, no, you're not. Anybody that is 
that is unexpected, that's confusing. And yet she treasured those things in her heart. Those things kept her faith strong. Then she had faith in the supernatural, didn't she, in the wedding of Cana. She saw a need. They'd run out of wine, which in those days was a huge embarrassment, massive shame. You've thrown this party, you've run out of wine. So she kind of prods Jesus. <laughs> she kind of knows who he is. She knows what he's capable of. She sees that need and asks him to intervene. She says, go on. Go on. <laughs> and he says, oh, woman, why, but, you know, my time's not yet come, but he does it anyway. So she prompts Jesus's first miraculous sign. She has faith for the supernatural. And her faith was rewarded in the end when she saw Jesus in the upper room. So first of all, we're, gonna, we're really going to focus, though, on costly, obedient faith today. So if those other points have spoken to you, maybe um, you're feeling confused and worried, you're not quite sure what's going on, and God isn't really giving you the answers you're looking for, then I would urge you to remember the good things he's done, to remember the miracles he's done, to treasure those things in your heart. Maybe God's challenging you to step out more when you see an opportunity. You know God can intercede. You know he can do a miracle. Step out and involve God in it. But today, we're going to look at costly faith when Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. So let's look in this very famous verse, Luke 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favoured woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. He will be very great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. So we kind of need to picture the scene here. Um, the D-Day landings were this week, weren't they? Anyone see that on the news? So basically, Israel was living in that sort of a situation. They were under oppression of Rome, the biggest military machine that had ruled the ancient world, a bit like the Nazis in Europe at that time. So they were ruthless, militant, disciplined, taking over countries that surrounded. So Israel was an occupied nation. They had to pay massive taxes. They were really poor. They were struggling under the weight of this. And then they were kind of longing to be liberated, like the French were longing to be liberated. 
they were longing to be liberated. And they'd had it promised to them as well. God had told them that it was coming, that there was going to be this king, there was going to be a mighty warrior that was going to come and that was going to liberate them and that it was going to set Israel back again to the amazing kingdom that it used to be. But there were hints in the Old Testament, weren't there, that this Messiah, this conqueror, would be even bigger than they would, could possibly imagine. His throne will last forever. I'm not quite sure how they reconciled those two things because they thought it would be a physical king and a physical kingdom and just for that generation. But actually, it was an eternal throne that God was talking about. And now picture Mary, a 14-year-old girl. I mean, obviously, this isn't what she looked like, but these are just some Bedouin sort of um, girls sort of from 19th century photos taken in that time. Um, she was sort of from the back of beyond. She was a poor peasant girl. She had no claims to royalty. Her family had no power or no prestige. They lived in Nazareth, which had a particularly bad reputation. That probably would have been a like a clay house. That's probably the sort of thing where she would have lived. Just want to go to the map. Next one. So, yeah, so she, so she lived in Nazareth, which is kind of, you know, way out of... Jerusalem was obviously the centre of sophistication, and Nazareth wasn't. Anyone remember that joke? I'm going to throw in that joke now. Sophistication? I've been to Leeds. Anyone else heard that? No? Okay. <laughs> Just a family on con <laughs> ongoing joke. But that's kind of how it was like. You know, Nazareth was a bit like Bradford. Bad reputation, bad PR. At the time, people used to say, how can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know. She would have been looked down on by her Galilean accent. That's the, the Sea of Galilee just, Galilee, just there next to it. She was nobody. She was a nobody in the world's eyes. And yet she believed. She believed that God Almighty, that the massive conquering Messiah promised for hundreds of years king would be born via her. She believed, even though it seemed ridiculous, even though she was a virgin, even though there was no human father. She said, I am the Lord's servant. She believed even though she knew the consequences. So in those times, people weren't really seen as an individual choice. You know, this is a very Western viewpoint that, you know, we're all into the individual choice, where in those days, it just wasn't like that. You were part of a clan, you were part of a community, and any of your actions was basically the actions of the group, so you would be judged accordingly. It would have brought dishonor to her whole family and her whole community. In those days, obviously, having um, sex before you're married or outside of marriage was, you were stoned to death, basically, because it was such an awful crime in those days. She, she knew she risked her life. She... She knew it was going to cost her disdain from others, being misunderstood, being judged. She risked losing her community. And in, the, you know, in those days, your community, if you, didn't have your fam if you didn't have that group where you went to the fields and you literally haven't got any, any way of fending for yourself, you're literally on your own in a desert. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty much game over. Yet she still said, I'm the Lord's servant. So... We want to be people that say, I am the Lord's servant, don't we? When God speaks to us, okay? But I think pretty much safely say that the angel Gabriel probably is not going to be showing up to any of us. 
<laughs> yeah? Because obviously we can think that, can't we? Because we, like a little bit in the story, you can a little bit go, oh yeah, but if, you know, kind of if the angel Gabriel showed up, then I'm pretty sure I'd say yes. Yeah? You know, you had this like, I don't know how tall he was, probably like eight foot shining, sort of, <laughs> like pretty awe-inspiring. It says she's trembling, you know, like it's massive vision of an angel of God of like, wow. Like when um, Gabriel is speaking to Zechariah earlier, because Zechariah has a similar message, but he doubts a bit more and he basically questions, how can I know this is true? And angel Gabriel says, I stand in the very presence of God and you question me kind of thing. So this angel that stands in the very presence of almighty God came to Mary. And so we can kind of think, oh yeah, so if that happened to me, yeah, I'd totally say yes, obviously, (laughs) can't we? But actually, God is speaking to us, almighty God is speaking to us every day. But it's a lot more low-key than that. But still, just as important. Because it's still Almighty God that is speaking to us. So how does he speak to us now? Well, it's through our consciences. That still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. Through the Bible. When we read the Bible, maybe that verse jumps out at us and we think, oh yeah. And actually, we need to be memorized. That's why we need to read the Bible, study it, and memorize it so that those verses, instructions can come back to mind when God's trying to talk to us. The Bible is his instrument, a way of talking to us. Maybe through other Christians challenging us. Maybe in a dream. Personally, I've never had. Oh, actually, I have a couple of you. Dreams. And through prayer as well. How often, how many times do we know that when we pray, It's not just to ask God to do this thing for us, but it's actually to change our hearts and our minds and how we think about people and how we're going to treat people differently. How many of you, when we were just asked then to pray for our politicians, had a bit of a, really, moment? Yeah? There was a bit of an audible, I heard it, there was this bit of an audible. (laughs) So um, I must have, and I personally felt challenged by God right then. It's like, oh no, am I going to have to play for Philip Davis? (laughs) You know, like, I don't know if you know much about him, but yeah, it's not great. So, (laughs) um, but he happens to be our local MP. So yeah, so I felt challenged by God then. Okay, I need to pray for him. So I'm praying for him. And it's to change his conviction. That's how God speaks to us. He's God's son. He's loved by God. He's valued by God. Even when we don't agree with people's opinions, even when we don't like what they do and the results and the impact of their lives, God still loves them and we need to still... And that changes our hearts through prayer, doesn't it? Or when we're praying, God drops somebody into our mind. That's God speaking to you, yeah? Or maybe when we feel like, oh, I really need to say sorry for that. Or you've just literally said something. You just, I mean, this, I really wish I'd get this before I've said it rather than afterwards. <laughs> but work in progress and all of that. But yeah, like afterwards, you're just like, oh, yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that like that. Oops. And then you have to do this. Oh, sorry, I should have said it. But that's, that's God speaking to us, isn't it? Like after we've said something, but hopefully before we say something as well. Um, maybe when others point things out, we can improve. 
need to swallow some pride, be humble and see what they're saying, weigh it up. When God asks us to forgive, when God asks us to love and to be kind and to be gentle and to be all of those things. I mean, there's so many verses in the Bible, but he's asking you to be those things, be those people to love, love abundantly. But let's be honest, how many of those moments, how many of those little whispers, those nudges, the words of others, how many of them do we just ignore? I would say quite a lot. What do you think, 50%, 80% probably just ignore? Don't get around to it. Yeah, it's a bit rubbish, isn't it? You know, God speaking to us, and we're just saying, nah, can't be bothered. And I think probably the reasons why we, like the contrast, Angel Gabriel, okay, that's definitely God, yeah? Angel Gabriel, okay, that's definitely God. Our little nudges, little moments of our mind, is that God? Or Angel Gabriel this is fairly important, like mind-blowing, history-making, eternally important moment, or is that text really that important? Does it really matter that much? Nah, probably not. Or it's my three points. You go to the next one. Or it might cost us a bit, mightn't it? It might cost us a little bit, a bit of time, um, maybe a bit of discomfort, a bit of I really think I'm actually right, um, but now I'm going to have to swallow my pride. Um, or, you know, a bit of time, we've got to go and do something, or maybe it actually costs us a lot. But I think sometimes it's actually easier to do the things that cost us a lot sometimes because we're a lot more sure that it's definitely God and we're a lot more sure that it's definitely important. You know, when God's asked you to do some big faith steps like moving towns, moving cities, getting this certain job, I think it can be you're a bit more on it because it's like a bigger deal. But I think God wants us to sharpen up, man, let's sharpen up on the little things. We need to take it seriously. We need to think, it is most probably God. If it's something good that God's asking us to do, it probably is God. So why risk it? Let's just believe that anything that he's asking us to do that's good, that's loving, that's going to bring peace is from God, yeah? So then we're just going to discount that question now, yeah? So everything that's good, we're just going to say, yeah, I'm just going to go with it that it's God. And if it isn't, what's the worst thing that happened? You've sent somebody a text that's nice anyway. Great. Okay. So let's just believe that. Yeah. Everyone with me? Yeah. Okay. And we're going to think it is important as well. How do we know? I think there's a bit of, when we look into that, there's a bit of pride there really, isn't it? Because we're saying, oh no, it's not that important. We're saying, actually, I think I know better than you, God. Actually, I've decided that it's not that important. I've decided that you've asked me to send that person that text to encourage them. I've just decided that I don't really want that. I don't think that's that important, so I'm just going to put that off. You know, do we know the hearts and the minds of everybody around us in our lives and in our worlds? Who does know that? And who is talking to us to do it? Okay. Yeah? So let's not preempt. Let's not be God. Let's... Let's decide, yes, God, if you're asking me to do it, it's probably going to be important. We don't know important, do we? Like, how many times have you ever had a text from someone that's just come or a phone call of concern that you've just thought, oh, seriously, just needed that? How many of you had that? Or maybe you've sent something and somebody sent something back to you saying, oh, you don't know what that means to me. Yeah? And you're thinking, oh, okay, great, because it only took me like a minute to send it. (laughs) 
<laughs> Do you know what I mean? So let's not lose sight of that. Or maybe we lose sight of it because we kind of think we've lost a little bit of our awe, fear, respect of God. We don't have that moment of Gabriel saying, I stand in the very presence of God and you're going to question me about that. Because obviously we know, don't we, God is our father, he's our friend, he's our counsellor, he's our daddy, he's the one that loves us and forgives us and is there for us all the time. But in that perspective, we can kind of lose a little bit of the, actually, he is almighty God, he's the creator of the very ends of the earth. Do you not know, have you not heard, I am the creator of all things. So let's not lose sight of who's actually asking us to do this. So, if he's asking us to do something, maybe we should just do it. Hebrews, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not merely listen to the word. And next one, James. If you do not deceive yourselves, do what it says. Do not merely listen to God, the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and then after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, the Bible, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, will be blessed in all they do. Sometimes we don't do it because it might cost us a bit too much. Mary, as I said risked everything. She risked her whole family, a lifetime of being misunderstood. You know, we pretty much know her family, her, even her own children, Jesus' brothers and sisters, didn't even think he was the Messiah. From James did afterwards when he saw the resurrected Jesus. It's like, oh, that was a bit humiliating. Um, so we know that Mary would have lived with that cloud of shame for her whole adult life, pretty much. Everyone in her family and her village kind of just thought, oh, come on, you've just literally made up the most ridiculous story to cover up your shame. But really, we know who you are. You did that. They made up an elaborate story. That's what they would have thought to cover up their shame. But she was prepared to do that. And the, co the, the cost of that, though, of living with that, meant that she got to live with Jesus for 30 years. She got to live with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords for 30 years. She got to know him more closely and more deeply than any other human, pretty much. She had 30 years of living with Jesus. How cool is that? It's been said, hasn't it, after their second child, she probably realized she wasn't like that an amazing parent. <laughs> it was like, oh, okay, it's kind of him, not me. Yep. <laughs> so... So are we prepared to pay the price of obedient faith to gain the prize of knowing and being closer to Jesus? Even if it costs us our time, laying down what we want to do, a bit of discomfort, a deep breath before we talk to, Jesus, to somebody about Jesus at work, or we offer to pray with some, someone, even if it means we're misunderstood, even if it means our reputation is on the line. But at the end of the day, we've got to face it, either... We are God's servants or not. Either God's in charge or we are. 
So if God's in charge, we say, yes, I'm your servant. If we're in charge, we say, nah, can't be bothered or I won't do it now, yeah? But don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You are not your own. You've been bought at a price. Whoever wants to be my disciple, Jesus speaking, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. They may take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Daily, daily sacrifices. Daily sacrifices of your time, of your comfort, of your will. Just want to add in a little side note here. Just make sure it's, when I said it's God talking to you, because I think other people can kind of sometimes manipulate you and try and control you to get you to do what they want you to do. But there's no joy in that. There's no joy in being guilt-tripped into doing something that isn't from here. Do you know what I mean? So is it our prayer when we wake up? This is what I want us to go away with. I want us to have a I want us to do an experiment every day to pray this prayer when we wake up. Okay, Lord, I want to acknowledge your voice to me today. I want to hear it and I want to acknowledge it and I want to name it and say, yes, it's you, God. And I'm going to respond. I'm going to act. I'm going to say, I am your servant. Or as Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, yet not my will, not what I want, but what you want, but your will. Because if we did do that, if we took out that challenge every day of saying those words, if we obeyed all those moments, all those God nudges, the still small voice, what would happen to us if we obeyed them all? Because at the end of the day, we are going to become transformed by the renewing of our mind, it says in Romans. It starts there. We have a decision to make in our minds. Are we going to do it? Are we going to say yes? Because we don't become transformed into completely new people that are suddenly completely obedient, that are completely holy, that have eradicated sin overnight. It's a long process of daily choices. That's how we get transformed. And we might not think of those little things of sending a text or when somebody prompts us or to speak kindly or whatever are actually going to make that much difference in the big picture. But it's all those tiny little things added together. That's how we get transformed. One step at a time, one decision at a time. We change. Every sacrificial act, every time we lay down our own agenda, every decision, every act of kindness, we create a habit of obedience. So we're ready to, when God asks to risk more. I'm going to show you a few analogies. Has anyone been in the country and walked over some styles recently? Yes. I love it. I don't know if anybody else has noticed this, and maybe this is just me. You know how you think something, and you think everybody thinks this, but this could not be, everyone has thought. But every time I go over a style or a piece of wood that's been rubbed, you know, it's so smooth, isn't it? Has anybody had those moments where you touch the piece? Yeah. You touch that piece of wood, and you're like, this is so amazing. And every time I do that, I just think, isn't that amazing? Just like your tiny touch as you 
go over has smoothed that down to something beautiful. I just think that I find that amazing every time. Wow, like literally, like 20 of those a day or 10 of those a day by different people have transformed this potentially spiky, splintery piece of wood into something completely beautifully smooth. And I would hold to you today that that's exactly what God wants to do in your life. That that one touch, you might think, might not make much difference. But if we do them 10 times a day, we, our personalities, our lives, our spirits, we get transformed into something that isn't prickly, something that's been smoothed down, something that's been turned into beautiful by hundreds of daily God touches in our lives. Or what about our teeth? <laughs> Ew. <laughs> there were much worse ones, but I didn't want to make, you know, feel a bit ill before lunch. <laughs> you know, like your mum, like flipping Jed, brush your teeth for crying out loud. 13 now. Good he's not hearing it. Eva's though, she's very good, much more, you know. Um, but yeah, seriously, you know, brush your teeth. You know, everyone knows they should brush their teeth. Yeah, but uh, I just want to go to sleep now. Go on, get, oh, I'm just going to go to sleep. It's like, uh. So you might just think, oh, yeah, just one or two times that you don't brush your teeth don't make much difference. And it probably doesn't, and it doesn't in the big scheme of things. But if that becomes a consistent habit of not cleaning your teeth and not looking after your teeth, you get gum disease, you get decay, start getting really bad breath, you know, all of that stuff. And actually, your teeth are kind of irreplaceable, aren't they? It's quite difficult to, you know, it's not like breaking a leg, is it? Do you know? And that's the same with our lives as well. What does that say about our faith and our life as well? If we consistently ignore the voice of God in our life, what does that bring into our life? Does that bring decay? Does that bring bad breath when we're speaking over to people? And people are a bit like, yo, backing away from us. You know, in the physical. These small things make a difference. So I kind of thought, obviously, you know, need to do this myself. So I just thought, right, okay, I'm going to try and do this. And so I'm not going to put off those little things I need to do, which I'm not saying this for the... But I'm just saying it's small things, you know, that we need to do. Um, so, for example, Wednesday night, I got into bed and thought, oh, I'm just going to read my new funny book I've got about this junior doctor, his diaries, it's really funny. And then I just felt, oh, I should probably read my Bible. And then literally, it's that sort of thing, isn't it? Like a little thought pops into your mind. Then you think, oh, I don't really want to. I just want to read a nice book for half an hour, for a quarter of an hour before I go to sleep. Do you know what I mean? It's the little moments where you think, and I literally said, I'm the Lord's servant, not your will. And it's not only, it's not like God's like, oh, you know, if you don't do it, then, no, but it's, it's what's best for you, isn't it? So I just thought, no, right, I'm, I'm like, my Bible's downstairs and now I'm in bed. Oh. I thought, no, right, I will go downstairs. I went downstairs, got my Bible. And I didn't have anything particularly revelatory. But maybe that's not the point. It's like the habit of, of discipline, isn't it? Of just doing what God tells you to do. And sometimes God's not telling us, you know, for this amazing eternal thing. It's just he cares about you and loves you. So then I knew kind of I should really turn off my light. And I kind of ignored that, though. <laughs> I went to bed at midnight. I was really stupid the next day. I feel tired. And um, Amy shared on uh, Food Band, didn't you, about you had this habit thing that God had really spoken to you not to do. And then he made it physically impossible for you to actually do it, to order this food that you didn't want. You know, so God cares about you, loves you. Just, you know, just we love our own kids. We want the best for them. We want them to be healthy and happy. And, you know, God tells you little things as well. Or seeing um, 
the prayer text. We have a prayer text. If anybody wants to get on that, by the way, to pray for people. So Lyndon's little daughter, Pippa, went into hospital. And every time I read those, I always think, oh, I should really text people to let them know I've prayed for them and I'm thinking of them. So I thought, even though I'm outside and my phone's in the kitchen, I'm going to do it now because I am the Lord's servant. Because <laughs> I'm a bit rubbish, so I forget stuff. So I've read that email, and I won't remember it in an hour or two. I just won't. Yeah? I don't know how many of you are like that, but I am. So I thought, if I'm going to remember that and do that, I'm actually going to have to go and do it now. So I do it. And then Linda said, oh, that's so nice. I didn't know we were on the prayer list. And it's like, oh, yes. So you've been, so I mean, we've built family, and it's just stuff like that, isn't it? Or... Or loads of things. So I saw my neighbour, Zolfi, who lives across the road. He's got degenerative ankle thing. Um, he was just saying how awful it was and prayers would be appreciated. He's a Muslim guy, which is really, not, you know, I mean, that's quite a big opening. So I'm like, yeah, I'm the Lord's servant. Okay, well, I can pray for you now if you like. So I lay my hands on his ankle, do a full-on Jesus power prayer. You know, <laughs> he's up for it. <laughs> uh, then I saw him a few days later and... Yeah, apparently the cast come off, and that's really good, and, but he's going to have another MRI, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, that's, so that's just doing, it's just getting into that pattern, that habit of behavior of saying that. Um, you know, and I just think, let's start that, let's start that habit. So what we're going to do now is do this prayer. So I think we should pray this out together, okay? And this is the prayer that I want us to do every day this morning, every day in the morning to this week, and hopefully, okay, and just let us know and see what happens, yeah? So, yeah, maybe take a photo of it. Write it down. I can get it sent out, yeah, if I remember, Yeah. <laughs> Okay, we're ready to pray this. Okay, I'm going to count us in so there's no awkwardness. Three, two, one. Lord, I want to heighten my awareness of your voice today. And I commit to act on it and say, I am your servant. Let me do your will today and not mine today. Amen. Great, well, we're going to have a bit of reflective time now, if we've got time. Yeah, we've got five. Yeah, where we're just going to sort of think and pray a bit about that if Mark wants to come up or whoever. Take my life, let it be everything, all of me, here I am. 
Holy Spirit, thank you that you have been moving amongst us this morning. Thank you that, oh gosh, this has all been so rich and bringing good news about you in helping us to see more of you, to spend time with you, to be encouraged and challenged about listening for your still small voice in our lives, to act on your promptings. Father God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that uh, we are part of your plan, that we are your people and that we are to go out in this week taking the encouragement of you and your presence to be salt and light in the places where we are. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. have a seat. We're done for the morning. I would love to encourage you that if there's anything you have heard this morning or anything you've been prompted about, please don't leave without receiving prayer. The folks on the prayer team, would you mind putting your hands up for us, please? Let us see who they are. Have a look at where the hands are up. But look at your neighbor. Look at the friends you've come with. Ask for prayer. Don't leave this place without it. The prayer that Josie got us to say at the end, we are going to text out every morning to us all as a reminder to, for each of us to pray it, to choose to pray it, to choose to pray for each other in it as well.